Welcome back, Timeline. I'm your host, Tanya, and this is The Most Interesting People on My Timeline, a series and archive dedicated to exploring the digital space and how it affects the lives and work of my most interesting online friends. If you're new here, welcome. On this podcast, we talk about the internet space and various creative and professional processes and career paths, but most importantly, we talk about it with interesting people in various fields who I've had the pleasure of engaging with online and IRL. If you're not new here, thank you for showing up for the penultimate episode of this season. If you're watching the visual version, excuse my lack of on-screen commentary. I am back home in Georgia and I did not bring my setup, but no worries because the start of the show is obviously the interview anyways. As always, you can listen to all episodes anywhere you get your podcasts, as well as watch a visual version on Spotify and YouTube. You can find links to all of this and more in the description box of whatever platform you're listening on, but also make sure to visit tanyadiz.com forward slash interesting people for bonus content, including a playlist of my favorite songs from this season's guests. This season, season three, I refer to as a sonic slay season because all of our guests are successfully slaying in the music business. Today's episode features LA-based artist and activist Sultry, who has worked closely with Bo, who we spoke to back in episode seven, and Paolo Rain, who we spoke to in episode 10. So you'll hear Sultry mention them in this episode a little bit. You can find more info and links to Soul Tree's work in the description box of whatever platform you're listening on or on tanyadoes.com forward slash Soul Tree. Welcome to this episode of the most interesting people on my timeline. Let me introduce you to Soul Tree. Well, peace, everybody. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast, Tanya. My name is Soul Tree. I was born Stephanie Kamba in the Philippines and raised in the Marshall Islands, which is in the South Pacific. Um in Micronesia and I lived there till I was 11 and then I moved here to the U.S. lived in Arkansas, Chicago, Chicago land and now I'm here in Tongva territory, unceded Tongva territory, Los Angeles and I've been creating music for about a decade now. I started with organizing before so I was a student organizer, youth organizer and I've contributed my poetry to a lot of political actions and fundraisers. And it wasn't until, you know, really my adult life that I really pursued my true passions. I was always singing here and there, you know, at social functions and and covering other artists and doing my own poetry. But it wasn't until I was 22 that I started really writing my own music with a hip hop collective and really imbuing everything that I learned on street organizing around labor rights, racial justice, immigrant rights, gender justice, um, LGBTQ rights, all of that. I really um, use music as an outlet. It's my way of really connecting to spirit. And in that journey, I've also picked up a few other tools that have helped me from herbalism to body work, Reiki and tarot. And every modality that I picked up was really informed by needing to support community and wanting to find some kind of practice and um, just an essence and way that would humanize me. A lot of times when I was organizing, I felt very dehumanized um, by the act of organizing some of the actions that we did. And also um, it was empowering, of course, it really uplifted me. And there was ways that I felt more human by the knowledge that I was um, being given. But I also felt like there was an aspect of uh, the militancy part, this part that like, you know, we have to occupy such a, a violent space when we're organizing. 
that affected me mentally and physically. And so that's what brought me to a more holistic path and to really not just uh, put my own life on the line for um, this idea of our liberation, but using the modalities that I choose that I want to be part of music and the way that I relate with other people and how I bring people together as a way of of getting free that in and of itself believing that that's enough and really rooting back into my cultures that precede undocumented and my lineage that precede citizenship and that's really where I'm at now as a person is um wanting to live my authentic truth as a non-binary undocumented being and to also know that my spirit and my essence is beyond title and status and papers and that I am I'm just so much more connected and rooted now than than I ever was and I'm continuing to create I just started producing this year um, really getting into um, awareness of visuals not just in my uh, visual design work and some of the video work that I've been doing here and there but in the way that I'm connecting with other artists and and trusting my work with other people and growing and expanding it with them. So that's me in a nutshell. Maybe my first question that comes out of that is just um, like, how did it it start with with music? And, you know, in, in your practice, how has music been that driving force because you moved around a lot? You know, migration is also just like this whole complicated thing, like, um, but what rooted you to music and, and in using that and pursuing that now? Yeah, I actually shared this recently that my first recording was when I was three and it was a tape recording um, that we found the day that my grandfather was transitioning. So this tape recording, this cassette had uh, me, my sister singing this song called Bulaklak, which means flower. And she's like, bulaklak. and it's a sad ballad. And you hear my grandfather in the background, like, oh, which means that's so sad. It makes me cry. And then you hear, I think you hear the other women in my family, like maybe my grandmother, aunt and, and mom, but you really just hear me breathing. Other than my sister singing, you hear me <sighs> into the mic. So that was like my first recording ever. And I just want to put that out there. This is official. This is, um, a world premiere, you know, uh, release of that information. But my family, we all migrated to the Marshall Islands slowly and surely through my grandfather, who was a technician. He worked on refrigerators, which, as you can imagine, an island near the equator in the Pacific needs a technician for refrigerators. So he worked for a grocery store. And thankfully, with that job, he was able to um, petition my entire immediate family, my parents, my uncle, my aunt, um, and my grandmother on my mom's side, as well as me and my sister. And so when we came together, karaoke is a way that we were able to heal and talk about certain things without actually talking about them. Karaoke was like a really big um, center point in our social lives. And I would always sing and me and my sister would make up dances. We had little dance troops and um, I would sing in church and, I always felt misunderstood by my family. I had like kind of a temper and anxiety and it was all because of all of these pressures that were placed on me. And I, I think I knew very young that I was different, that I'm non-binary, that there was just a certain way that I related to genders that was very confusing to people and that misled them. And it 
and because of the way that I look and how people perceive me, like I was very exoticized and like hypersexualized as a young person. And so I think this point of un- misunderstanding from both my family and the communities that I grew up with and the fact that there was so much su- religious suppression of colonized countries like ours, um, it made me go to music to find again that sense of humanity that sense of wholeness and that sense of like freedom from all these like physical pressures that people would put on you and these labels that people would put on you and um that was the same you know that that pattern continued and continues in my life and when i started organizing um more actively around immigrant rights and specifically doing direct action work where we were challenging the law and doing civil disobedience as well as direct action. Um, Music was a way for me to have fun, to play, to get out of this, um, you know, there's this, when you meet your oppressors on purpose because they're trying to change the law with your body, it affects you, it affects yourselves, it affects your energy and because I had the outlet of music, it allowed me to amplify those feelings, but also to release those feelings in a way that was more conducive. But it wasn't always conducive. Sometimes I would just like repeat the same cycle and and go in this um, mode of martyrdom, even in the way that I did my music. It took many years for me to stop just making music for the movement or making poetry for the movement and really finding my sense of self that I am a human being and the organizer is as, important the individual is in there we are part of like a whole greater movement and if we're sacrificing every like the humanity of the people that we're organizing with it wasn't really it wasn't really freedom it wasn't really liberation and I found my place in music I found my place in um song and I've always sung but hip-hop specifically helped me liberate some of the feelings especially rebalancing my um feminine divine and my masculine divine and acknowledging that masculine that yang energy that's really unapologetic hip-hop allowed me to to liberate that and so um i'm really grateful to have music as a tool for my own personal mental health when you're mentioning like uh you know protesting and music and like within the movement um but then also trying to like remember your individuality with that like struck a chord for me because it reminded me of like a couple years ago like I had made this playlist called UndocuSad and it was these all these um songs they had nothing to do with immigration at all but there were lines in them that would remind me of my status and it it would make me like really sad and so then all but since then I've like learned to kind of like accept when to like when I am like outside of my status um through even through music but there was a that's just something that that made me think of um but but in talking about all these points of like inspiration and, and influence and talking about hip hop, um, can you talk a little about like specific artists or like um, other genres that that kind of influence your music? I know you have some influence in like it sounds like reggae, but also like hip hop is the main one. Yeah, just talk about any any of those influences. Yeah, I have way too many influences. Honestly, I feel like every era of hip hop is is important and is necessary as much as like every genre like hates on each other like I love drill I love boom bap I love lo-fi I love um just you know straight rap and I love hip-hop so I think for me 
I don't I'm Gemini so I really struggle with choosing <laughs> you know I'm not, not the type to like just choose um but you know of course like most um you know fans in hip-hop like Lauryn Hill was really influential for me growing up um and I think you know I listened to some of the rappers that were heard in our island were you know Biggie and Tupac I feel like um being in Chicago, a lot of local artists really affected me, like being in Elephant Rebellion, which is a social justice based hip hop collective, really influenced me. Um, I want to name Randy Magigad and John Vietnam, who are API uh, rappers, Filipino and um, Vietnamese, respectively. They both died when they were very young, and it was um, a big loss for our community in Chicago each, um, each time one of them passed. So like in Randy passed in 2010. And um, John passed in 2013, I want to say. Um, so I'm very rooted in in local music as well, you know, especially um, within my Chicago community. And there's certain rappers like, that are more chill, like vibes like Akua Naru. I grew up with R&B though. So my, my mom, like we would listen to Whitney Houston, Tony Braxton, uh, Mariah Carey. I also grew up um, listening to, you know, Bob Marley, you know, with reggae. Um, but as I grew older, I like really expanded um, my awareness of reggae, like listening to um, people like Gregory Isaacs, um, and also um, Bears Hammond, and there's so many there's so many artists out there. I really um, Marsha Griffith, uh, the I threes, and the, even the neo um, reggae revival. They say um, there's a lot of so many. Like I feel like within each genre, there's so many different generations, and so that's why it's like really hard for me to pinpoint um, artists that I feel like oh yeah, that's like a bit like the the main influence um but i feel like i'm pretty i flow between different genres and when i was in arkansas all we listened to was like alternative music and slightly rock because it was other than that it was like christian music over there and also living in arkansas like made me really love um southern rap a lot and there's that beef between east and west coast but me like i was in the south and then i was in the midwest so i've always been more um in the central communities and you know i love outcast and um that's kind of you know being a migrant also influences how i listen to music because it's you know determines how you know what kind of music is available and you know i love aliyah i love r&b even though i don't make r&b like i'm very i i thought i would be making r&b and i still do it's just like that's not where i landed and that's not the energy that came out um from jump in the last decade that i've been making music so um yeah i love jazz of course too i i um, went to in high school i was um in different groups like uh traditional choir church choir jazz choir and also like taking classical voice lessons because that's the only voice lessons that were accessible in the suburbs and i i really did want to um you know be more rooted in other genres and cultural music but it wasn't until like my adulthood that i really accessed that even like awareness of you know filipino political um history, I really had to look for it myself. 
because the internet wasn't what it is now in the last like 30 years and um something i've been really exploring in the last decade is learning about filipino cultural music and even knowing where my community and um ancestry is from because when i went to the philippines in 2015 i met my some of my relatives for the first time uh, through DACA and which I lost in 2018 um, for, you know, I, I won't share, go into that right now, how that happened, but um, I met some of my relatives. I've met some of my uh, dad's aunts and they were speaking a whole different language to me. So I really learned the different ethno-linguistic groups that I was part of, that I was Warai, that I was Ilongo, that I was, um, Pangasinanse, you know, these are, I never knew that, that these were my family's lineages until I went to the land and they had to tell me themselves because these were stories that my parents couldn't tell me. So really, um, I'm only now diving more deeply into Filipino cultural music, even though I kind of, I kind of grew up with it, like I did cultural, Filipino cultural dance a little bit. And I also did, um, you know, started doing Filipino martial arts in the last few years. But uh, I didn't really understand or um, have a grasp of the the depth of Filipino cultural music because it wasn't accessible, especially the ones that are done by indigenous people and by you know the working poor. But now it's becoming more mainstream, so I'm um, getting more access and more people are diving into their culture. So that's been a huge blessing for me. Um, and that reggae piece too, like comes from being from the Pacific. In the Pacific, like. Jamaican music, specifically reggae, has influenced the entire world and has specifically influenced islanders across the globe in a really impactful way. Yeah, I I agree. And I think like that makes me think of like my my dad, he um when he first got here, he like learned English by playing like Bob Marley and like Outcast. I I grew up in Atlanta. Um and so like like you said kind of like southern like hip-hop was also like what my dad used to um learn english and i just kind of listened to it in my like three-year-old self in the car um and so like that those are all such cool influences and then like for me personally like uh the internet was also an influence and you kind of touched on this that, like the, the internet back then is not the internet that it is now but as you were moving around and as you like you became you got I guess internet presence or started using the internet how did that shape like your sense of culture or your also your artistic vision it expanded it broadened my um my interest even more I wanted to like I love global music I love music from every culture I feel like every um culture has its story and I remember being in my teens going to this um, radio station from one of my older friends that was going to college at the time and I was at the radio station and I heard some music from East African women it was like a compilation CD and it sounded like Marshallese to me and I was like wow like the connections of the diaspora you know like people linking Austronesian culture to um, the African diaspora and um, you know hearing the influence in the language themselves is so powerful to me and I love I just love learning new music and I, I even love music that's just like instrumentals and and brass so I love to learn in general anyway so the fact that I started gaining more access to the internet and gaining more access to community and people has really um opened me up 
I feel like that's why it's hard for me to say I have like a favorite in anything or to name that because I have a I would say I have a favorite in every subculture and every genre and so um I feel like I'm not really I wouldn't want to answer those questions specifically unless we had like a whole hour just for that question <laughs> you know what I mean because I would love to nerd out on every single thing and I think that would give folks a better idea of where I'm coming from um because I do, I do have a very different and original sound, and I have a lot of influences in older and newer music that I like to, you know, reference. But overall, I am just the way that I was seeking a culture that reflected me. I seek that in my music by creating that, and I don't think there is. I'm a unique being. We're each unique beings, and so unless until we each create our own original you know, art and sound, there's we are just trying to create our own reflections, you know. Yeah, and like speaking of that, like original piece, like the Gems album, like that was, I think like, I, I kind of saw the stuff from the beginning with the seed and spark and like even up to now, I was actually listening to it because I, I was doing like an art project for my friend's birthday and I was listening to it and it was just like super like chill and like nice, it was, it was good, um, I was vibing out to it. Um, but yeah, well, like, what is that creative process like, and specifically with that project that had so many components to it? Yeah, so that that project came out of moving here to Tongva from Chicago, um, land of the three fires. And me and my partner were actually like robbed at gunpoint in July of 2019. And we had a storage unit here because we we moved here in 2016, but had to move back because um, in 2017 because my partner's studio shut down, and so we built the stu another studio in Chicago from 2017 to 2019, and right after we finally put the last piece in, like later that week, we got robbed at gunpoint. There were seven guns on us, and two cars that you know they took our car, they took our bags. And I was really lucky I had my phone and keys somehow and I like got was able to call our friend but that was a really big. Um, impactful moment and there's a lot of. Uh, you know examples in the world of people that experience near death experiences and even though we were unharmed unscathed it, like it really could have gone down <laughs> in the worst way and I remember I actually had a water bottle from Bo at on me and when i gave my backpack to one of the you know the, the robbers um i dropped the loud as um aluminum bottle on the sidewalk and i was like fuck this is it but i just you know went into this place of surrender and humanity when i saw these robbers i was just like you know what y'all are human and whatever happens is gonna happen and i just like surrendered to to um the universe and it really affected me in the way that I feel like there was a lot of truths that I was hiding because of um, respectability politics of like, you know, being an organizer and working with young people and elders, there was a self that I wasn't really sharing. I wasn't really sharing my queerness as loudly. I wasn't really sharing my political beliefs as loudly. That's, you know, what, whether it's t using um, cannabis, THC as my medicine and other herbs and other beliefs that I have that are a little bit far-fetched and not mainstream, I felt like that experience made me um, just be more true. And so Gem came out of that place for me personally. And I do I do believe for my partner too, because we both, you know, moved to Tongva and we were living in this um, sublet 
where really we would garden often and that's like really what held our sorrow held our trauma our ptsd um and it was hard for me to be around both of us to be around like community or people like a large group of people for a long time because of that experience and gem was our way of like talking about some issues that we might not have been able to if any something else went down that night and Jem was the story of us coming back to Tongva and also uh, being real with ourselves. And for me, it was me just being unapologetic and trying a new sound and just going it at it in a harder way than I had. I feel like my last uh, album before Jem, the Sultry EP, was super gentle and super like, um, you know, it was five years worth of music in a, you know in six tracks, and it was very organic. But I feel like it was still very safe. And Gem was kind of opening up something more, something deeper. You know, the co- its kind of symbolic because my sultry EP—it's a coconut, and so the coconut's like more on the surface. It comes from a seed. It becomes a big plant. Gem, you gotta dig for that. You gotta dig for the truth and. I think the fact that I went through a near-death experience and, um, you know, we just went through kind of um, like a just a loss, a big loss, you know, um, energetically, just feeling we gave some feeling like we gave so much to the city and, and this is the reality that our community deals with. We were really heartbroken, um, not just because of our own personal experience, but the fact that that's like so commonplace where we are from. And... Um, yeah, Jem, I just really told, spoke my truth and really grappled with some topics that I, I hadn't before as publicly. And I just, we just went in it like between 2019 and, and the beginning of 2020. So right before the lockdown, all of that music came together within a few months of, of healing. And talking, you know, about healing, because like that in itself was like such a, it's like a powerful moment you go through. Kind of you said, yeah, like at some, you you were like just surrendering to the universe. Um, like you also have, um, there was like the community that came together for the event when Jem came out um, and it had like people who were, they had a market and there were people who were artists and poets and healing and um, like even organizations that like were healing organizations. So how did, how did that come about in planning that event? Uh, maybe my question is also like, why, why did, why was that event, like how you chose to uh, showcase this project to everyone? Yeah, I think it's another YOLO moment, you know, where um, I had been trying to get it, you know, me and Paolo worked on it for, you know, such a long time in 2021. And, you know, our seed and spark didn't even, we made 10% of what we were hoping to make and maybe not even 10, but um, we put so much effort and labor and it was so iconic for us because we really lived out the reality that um, we are worthy as undocumented people, that even in a pandemic, we were just gonna go for it. We were gonna ask for 70K for a visual (laughs) album and, I love how ambitious we were and I love how we, you know, really believe still that we deserve that, that kind of um, presence and that kind of support. And Drop in Gems 
was born out of me just wanting to release you know it's like just needing to give birth to something and um over time i in the last couple of years i've just built community through my healing work through my music and things just started aligning and i was connecting with these artists and some artists that were part of the show i've known for many years and some of them i've just met recently and so i had been talking to many different artists from dancers to djs to um you know mcs and to singers and vendors in the last three years or I guess in the last yeah three years that I was here and that I moved here, and so um, it really was time. It felt like time. It felt like we had the right team. It felt like we had necessary resources. And even though it was like such a push, it was such a push to do this show, and it was so. I I did a lot. I did a lot personally. Like I did have a team, and I did have a lot of support, specifically from my girl DJ One Love. Um, and from Shiro's of Shiro Collective and DJ One Love and I are in Babailan Collective and a bunch of other artists that were part were MCs, were you know, dancers, were you know, performers and vendors. All of them we've been we've been building together through the pandemic and it felt like um necessary to drop this gem, to drop this gem in this way and to center femmes and thems. And it felt like we had the like I had been talking to people for years about this album at this point in 2022 we dropped it in November but the album was pretty much done in 2020 so I've been there's been many iterations of trying to galvanize people and it really came down to like me pushing me pushing and believing that it needed to be done even if it felt like it was going beyond our capacity and you know it was a big undertaking to bring in that many vendors that many volunteers and that many performers but I do not regret a single Thing because that's how that's how much I want to give that's how that's um, how much I want to offer and how um, thoughtful and intentional I want to be with my shows and I wanted to set precedence because I was doing a bunch of I you know I'm really easily swayed by my friends to just support what they're doing and I think that's one of my lessons in life according to astrology is that I need to just do my own thing and so dropping gems was my way of being like this is my own thing and this is how I do it and um, I just needed to plant that seed because I'd been such a big support for so many other people's events and so many other people's projects I needed to do this for me and the the right people came through and I'm very you know just honored honored that we were able to drop it no I love seeing like when all of that comes together because kind of like I like, I always feel like talking to people, it, there's a, there's always those moments of like, you've just been thinking about something or you've been talking about it and then actually getting to do it and like share it. That is when you're like, okay, that all of that was like worth it. And it's like, it, it's cathartic for me. Um, when I, whenever that happens for me. So I, I love seeing that. And the video came out, like I've seen the videos from the event and it looks, it looks like such a fun event. Um, and Thank you so much. yeah. Um, my next question, it maybe uh, it talks more about this kind of holistic approach to music because um, you're also doing community work, but you also, um, I believe, like work with an organization that's holistic healing. You've mentioned Reiki um, and astrology and tarot and um, and one of like your songs even is a meditation. So like, um, yeah, what are some of the those other ways that you uh incorporate that into your work because um yeah yeah like how do you incorporate that 
Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I've been doing meditations and bringing sound bowls to my performances and even to, I was doing breathing exercises for organizing space and it didn't really go so well. It was like, every time we tried to do a breathing exercise, there was like a raid and we would have to go somewhere and like do some direct action or do some like deportation support. Like literally we would always have to put the, um, the breathing meditation in the garden or the parking lot. And it was so, wow, it was like such a monumental moment for me when I realized like, wow, we really, I had to step away of that out of that particular organizing space because it didn't even allow space for undocumented breath. You know what I mean? And so um, every different modality came at a really pivotal point. Like I started doing body, I, I did massage on my parents and my grandparents, their faces and stuff growing up. Um, and we call it hilot, which is just general healing. And some people make it more of a big deal that like, oh, you only have to be a certain lineage and you have to be taught. Um, but I come from a different, you know, mentality being an undocumented person that's, you know, also lost a lot of like lineage and um, a lot of my family has moved to the city. So we've lost our indigeneity, so to speak, in our way of life. And so doing this holistic work is my way of just first like healing myself because we each have every single person has a lot to heal and um to act like you you can facilitate support for someone's healing without addressing your own wounds is is not responsible and very problematic and so i was recognizing these uh fundamental uh challenges and root causes of some of our challenges and I really wanted to address it in a felt way. So when I do work through Shah, my, my practice, sustainable holistic healing arts and activations, I have in mind, you know, root centered, root approaches to to oppression and to struggle and to um, to violence. And I host uh, sound baths with my community. I did one on Monday and it's it's really a beautiful exchange and really supporting other people because you know i've i've walked my journey and i'm still walking that journey and i still have teachers and people that teach me um many other other ways of life and philosophies but doing this herbal work is really really good for my own personal um mental health it's good for my body and my mind is good for my presence and my meditation and so i love being able to learn more about that and offer it to my community and um i'm fi finding people that are seeking that as well and i really i really believe in that for our people because there's just a as far as like any practice or any labor it's like undocumented people are so um kicked out of it you know it's like if i don't have ties to the land can i not be part of these modalities that are ancestrally ours if i'm not part if i can't go back to you know my home country am i less like of a member of my family you know it's just like all these questions of do you even belong because you're so uprooted but when i do these practices when i work with this medicine when i offer sound healing and i connect with people citizen or not um i feel like it's a it's an existence that is beyond this 3D and it is a connection that is beyond this like this lifetime. It's much deeper than that. And it helps me maintain hope and it helps me maintain um, just more of a divine connection because so many of the things that we've studied and practiced is really disconnecting us from our sacredness and relationship to divine.
Yeah. And I was going to say, like, um, I know you sent me a couple of the events, like, unfortunately, I couldn't go, but, um, and I, I'm, I plan to move down uh, to, like, the LA Tongvaland area, be, um, like, so, like, within the year, but like here in Oregon, like, that's when I first started getting a, a little bit of sense of uh, community that was more like, uh, attuned to healing, um, but also through the internet, um, surprisingly. And uh, that's just helped me. I think for a long time, I was like very uprooted and uh, thinking about like, oh, my status and like, what's next? We're also, we're always like thinking about like future and uncertainty, but it helped me like be like present. So that, I really appreciated that in your work. And like, um, I know there might be other people that are doing that, but it was the first time I'd like experienced that in music um, that like specifically and intentionally through your work. Um, and maybe like thinking about like other spaces, um, digitally, like I said, I've come across a lot of things and, um, like thinking about music, we're talking about AI and like NFTs and things like that. Is there any, and like social media promotion for indie artists too, is there anything, um, in that digital realm that you're excited for, um, and anything that you're a little wary of or like oh, I don't know what this is going to bring. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that question a lot um, because we, my generation, I feel like is like the the last one to to have certain things that, you know, dial up internet, <laughs> you know, a lot of folks in this generation don't know. Um, and I get it. I, I saw that the, the person responsible for AI at Google like resigned and, you know, there's a lot of fear and I can't say I can't say what's going to come. I am I am excited for certain um, tasks that are mundane to be done electronically as opposed to people having to do it. I feel I do wish that the way that we work with technology is to alleviate and support people rather than suppress them further. Um, that is my hope, but of course it's going to go the other way before, you know, we always have to like go the extreme in the most violent way and then temper ourselves. It seems like is our pattern as a, a species. And I do believe that indigenous folks and people that are more rooted to community are on the prevention side of that. But at the same time, I know that there are artists that, and people that would benefit from using AI just on the level of not having capacity to create and just wanting to create. I don't like the theft aspect of it. And I don't, and I mean, in anything, but there are people that are doing, um, that are doing uh, analog work, but still stealing from each other. So I feel like it's a very nuanced conversation. I'm excited for people to be able to create on their own. I don't want AI to take all of our creative jobs, obviously. I, I think that's what's being speculated about this writer strike here um, happening now, that they're, they're just gonna outsource writing to AI for a while. But I really believe that I am a in-person type of person. That's what I learned in during COVID was that, man, when we went to digital, I, I still just prefer to hold space in a personal interaction in a real interaction, but to grow in a more accessible way, like having the digital is a really important way to proliferate. And I think it really is, and I'm gonna go philosophical here, but I really feel like 
um, we all we all are agents of our own change and some people do just want to grow fast and grow big and doesn't matter who who is um, being jeopardized, which is why, you know, this is the whole immigration conversation is <laughs> like creating caste systems and um, oppressing people of color in particular and gendered people in particular, femmes and, and non-binary and queer folks. And so I feel like I pray that it becomes a tool of accessibility and of off, you know, outsourcing labor that doesn't need to be done by humans so that humans can actually live. And so I'm excited about how this technology will actually support people as well. And even thinking about how we can be supportive to people with disabilities on the accessibility and on disability justice movement. And I don't wanna be, I think precautionary is important, but I don't wanna be like spreading fear. I don't wanna be part of like the fear agenda yeah, we can be preventative, but I don't want the emotion around it to be like this combative fear and us and them thing, because I'm seeing a lot of people post um, in ways that are, you know, um, combative. And it's like, is that really the energy we, you know, that isn't that like just repeating this cycle of, of combat that we're already in? So I, I really, you know, I really can't, I feel like, I don't know if I really spoke to that question, but that's just where I'm at is we will, we will all see together. I, I don't know enough about that technology and I don't use that technology enough to say that I can predict anything, but um, I'm always going to be on the side of, of prevention, but also we have to, we have to be innovative. There was a lot of ways um, when I was, I started organizing in Chicago in 2012 where you know it was hard for us to bring in elders because they didn't use email you know <laughs> they didn't use facebook and so we had to still like print our flyers and like hand it to them personally and and now like they're all on facebook so it wasn't it's not all like the end of the world as we sometimes think but it's going to be you know it's still going to emulate the cycles that we've had like people thought nafta would be a good thing for trade and instead it just like oppressed people, you know, and exploited workers, particularly the melanated ones. And so, um, yeah, I feel like we can, I think it's important to really learn from the past, like, and to take everything with a grain of salt, both the innovation and the desire to, to remain um, more analog. Yeah, I, I think I, I, agree with that and with the there's got there has to be like a balance I know like for me like I think I was just like on TikTok and I it was like there was like an AI cover it was like Lana Del Rey singing like a cumbia or something or like another song and I'm like wow this is like oh this is like it was a little funny at first and then I was like this opens up a Pandora's box of a lot of things and a lot of feelings um so yeah I think that they're just needs to balance that. I don't know I don't know if we've ever found it or if we will but I'm I like even with like thinking about even when virtual assistants came out like you said sometimes they could have been really helpful for people but for example I think my friend got an Alexa for her mom but her mom was like this Alexa is in English like what am I supposed to you know do with it I speak Spanish um right. so yeah there's always those opportunities sometimes we don't take to help those that need it yeah and make it accessible mm. yeah and even thinking about um you know, 
people that were resisting technology in the past, like it does have innovation as long as we apply it that way. It does have like benefits to us as long as we apply it that way and make it accessible to everyone. And we can't deny that in our long history, there's been so much propaganda that that's been made up about each other that AI is just a more digital version of that, you know, and no matter what, like AI is just a tool that's illuminating both our shadows and our light. So we have to, to treat it that way. And anything that comes up, it was already in us, you know, AI just enhanced it, you know, and that's a big I, I think eventually I do trust in the universe that it'll balance it out, even if it's at our own um, extinction, which is very plausible. <laughs> so, and I do think necessary, you know, as much as I love humans, I do think that, you know, eventually we'll be obsolete and there'll be some other species here and that's, that's okay. That's part of the spirituality that I gained access to in this, in this journey. It's like, yo, honestly, we're kind of like really like, human-centered and this planet is not just ours it's so many others right yeah i i like asking that question just because like it one it's such a big topic right now but also like it brings up the bigger bigger picture a little bit and like i've mentioned a few times like i'm online a lot so it makes me take a step back sometimes too to and like think about things right um so i really appreciate your your answer on that of course, this series is called The Most Interesting People on My Timeline, but in this segment, I turn it over to my guests to put me onto something new and tell me about the most interesting people on their timeline. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually made a list. I know this is super formal, but I was like, I can't, I can't forget. Like, I do have a lot of really dope artists that I work with. Um, and my first and foremost, one of my soul siblings, Crystal Dino, she does freedom movement alignment. And she's my guru. She's my Filipino martial arts teacher. And she does house dance as well as all kinds of dance. She started, she also did hip hop and, um, you know, has some Filipino cultural roots as well. And so she's one of my homies that I create with. She's an amazing um, art therapist that works with youth. And I'm really grateful. It's been um, almost like, has it been almost 20 years? No, wait, we met in like 2012. Okay, it's only been 10 years um, since we've been creating. And I'm in a bunch of collectives. Like I mentioned, I'm with um, Baba Ilan Collective and Shiro Collective. Baba Ilan Collective, we do a lot of healing and holistic work. We work with herbs and sound um, and community gathering. And I have three uh, fellow collective members, and that's uh, Sister Candice from Nourishing Your Livity, uh, DJ Wen Love from Elmwood Organics, and Sin of Hina Waters Wellness. And we each are sound healers, herbalists. We all create our own different products. Um, and I'm really grateful to build with them. I'm also part of Shiro Collective, which was founded by Shiro's, who was the MC I mentioned that was um, one of our main artists at Drop In Gems. She's super dope. She's an amazing creator, but also always trying to bring together femmes um, within cultural work, specifically rooted in hip hop. And we have a few other collective members, uh, Christine Sa or um, Shorty. She does like she does these amazing syrups. She helps so many different businesses and organizations, um, but she's primarily an educator and works with folks in special ed. She's an amazing, um, amazing community member. Uh, we also have Rihanna Hartley, who's an amazing consultant, who's in um, 
she was in communication work, I want to say, and she did a lot of um, nonprofit work and started out as a B-girl and one of, was one of the first POC um, people in the yoga world here in, in Tongva. So um, she's been holding it down over there. There's also Robin Coates, who's a, an amazing indigenous sister um, who does a lot of work within the fashion realm. And um, I, I have my girl Jackie and my homie Kiki. They're, they're Filipinos who um, grew up in Pacifica. Kiki's from Hawaii, who's also Samoan, and Jackie is from uh, grew up in Guam. And so they're amazing people that I built with. They co-created Gem with me. Jackie's an amazing graphic designer, um, an overall artist. She bakes. She does everything really, um, and she's a martial artist. And Kiki's like a really dope. Um, Pacific Islander advocate, health advocate, uh, as well as uh, a guide within this camp that supports youth that have cancer. And so they're just an amazing rep. They work for Epic uh, Empowered Pacific Islanders. And so those are some of the folks. And I also wanted to mention Magnolia Yang Xiaoya, who's an amazing dancer and PhD candidate at UC Riverside of Hmong lineage um, from Minnesota that I've been building with for a few years. She um, directed our rehearsals and choreography for two of the songs from Drop and Jam. And my last person, I know I had a whole list, right? Um, is Sammy Jimenez, who has a show this Sunday and is offering a free workshop on Saturday in San Diego. Uh, they're a um, non-binary trans artist that is from San Diego, movement artist, visual artist, fashion designer, and they're a really dope Taurus that I'm celebrating this weekend. So all these people, oh, last but not least, DJ AIT from Honolulu. They're um, a Samoan DJ that really does a lot of work in public radio and talking about the political roots of public radio, specifically in Hawaii. And I really love the music that they play. They're also queer, um, Kapwa, and just really, really, really has been a super supportive um, person within the music community and a big connection for me in the islands. So yeah, just singing all their praises. Everybody's super dope. <laughs> thank you, thank you. It sounds like such like a dope community and everyone is so multifaceted and just, it sounds amazing. So thank you for sharing that and like spotlighting them uh, here. Um, is there anything that's like coming up in the future for you? Anything you wanna plug that, how can people connect with you and keep up with you? Absolutely. So I just dropped the track called Andaki Fours on Monday. I produced it. I wrote it. I performed it. Um, I also am dropping the music video, the visualizer next week. There's interviews and a song and um, different visuals that are now in uh, Crossings TV, which is an API uh, TV station. It's going to be streaming uh, throughout the, the month of May. And I also will be featured in the uh, Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival next Thursday for my music video, Can't Wait. And so please come through. It's at 930. It's part of the um, Cinema Musica Shorts program. And uh, it's public. So it's going to be at Regal Live, um, I think Theater 10. So that's really exciting and coming up. I'm going to be performing this Saturday at Tienda An which is a community market in Walnut, California. It's Philippinex-led. And um, 
let's see is there anything else i think that's all for now yeah i'm just working on um just continuing to release music and i do have a the reason another reason why i pushed gem was because i have like two to three other albums that I need to get out. So I was just like, I'm done hoarding music. Like I'll probably drop an album with just cover art and no other like additional, <laughs> um, you know, probably not too elaborate of a show later this year, just because I want to, I just want to work on new music, but I have a lot of older music that needs to go out. So you can find me at soultree.me. That's my website. You could also, that's S-O-U-L-T-R-E-E dot M-E. And you can find me at Soul Tree's Music on Instagram and most uh, social media outlets. And yeah, I'm always offering services. So you can also book me for uh, tarot, Reiki body work um, or herbal support through my website and I also have a bunch of products that I'm getting out there and a bunch of merch that we're trying to get out there for gem so holla at me I want to call out all the sponsors all the people the funders out there the sweet citizens come on send your money send your coins this way support undocumented artists support queer artists um support migrant artists and femmes and thems Thank amazing so time, yeah. amazing <laughs> I, i'm really excited about can't wait at at laugh because it's one of my favorite songs um from like your work um i have it on this playlist called free sunshine i live in oregon it has been cloudy like forever so i'll put that playlist on so and i've added that in there and it's a lot of joy <laughs> all of soul tree's work is linked in the description and you can head over to tanyadoes.com forward slash soul tree for links visuals and bonus content and make sure to follow them on instagram and spotify at soul tree they will be vending and performing at multiple events soon including the kumari connection gathering in long beach on june 17th the Abrazos and Cali Luna Ice Cream Social on June 25th. And on June 26th, their interview on Crossings TV with the Slants Foundation is airing at 5 a.m. and 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. They have so many amazing things uh, going on and that they're doing. We'd love to see it, so definitely follow them on Instagram and go to their website so you can keep up with all of that and see where the next show is and when they will be vending at an event near you. Also, make sure to follow me, your host, on Instagram and TikTok at Tanya Does, and subscribe to my YouTube channel to stay up to date on this series, as well as following us on Spotify. The next episode is the season finale of this Sonic Slay season. This season feels like it went by so quickly, but that just might be that the uploads were consistent every week. <laughs> so next week's guest has started his own record label, has a couple short films in production, and in a music and fashion crossover, his company also collaborated with the one and only Laquan Smith. Stay connected, stay creating beautiful things, and I'll catch y'all in the next episode. Yeah.